Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The divisional round in the books, AFC and NFC championship games are set, and we are here to preview it, to talk all about it. Come listen on Pod Like a Raven. So the first time in months, Pod Like a Raven. Very little Raven to talk about, unfortunately. We'll have some some news and notes to go over, but it's mostly going to be about the football that happened this past weekend. I am Antonio Barbera. Let me bring in my co-host, starting on the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Where'd you watch the games this weekend? Did you have a uh, like a Fort Horsey set up to get all the all the games in, or what'd you do? Uh, Sunday was a Fort Horsey with a couple of friends, uh, over and, uh, way too much food that I'm still currently consuming because yet again, I think it was a total of five of us and I bought food for 500 and now I just have Buffalo chicken dip until, you know, March. So that's super good for this diet that I'm supposedly going to go on, uh, at the start of 2023. But Saturday was at an engagement party, actually, at a Libertori's restaurant where we rented out the bar and, uh, watched... Doug Peterson, with one of the best covers of all time, as a man who had Jaguars plus eight and a half. Sad field goals all around. And then, yeah, just watch the um, the butt kicking that was the Eagles-Giants that we'll get into. So a little bit of variation on Saturday and Sunday. We got to take everything in and, you know, we're at that time of the year where it sucks the Ravens aren't here. Um, we'll, obviously, we'll get into that more. They probably... There's a very good chance this Ravens team could have been in the conference championship if they would have beaten the uh, the, the Bengals. I'm convinced of that. Uh, but either way, fun to watch football, fun to watch really, really good teams play it, uh, even if it was kind of a less dramatic weekend than the wild card weekend was. There was absolutely a play-by-play comparison of everything that the Bills did being, well, if the Ravens just knew how to run a QB sneak, you know, they could have done something there. Who knows what how they could have looked? Yeah, on the West Coast, Jace Evans, what was your weekend setup to uh, indulge in NFL playoff football? 
So I had to work Saturday, so I was just around here. Um, but then Sunday, I went down to Clark Manor, a.k.a. the home of the Clark boys, my friends down in Long Beach. So watched the games with them, had some good Shout food. out the Clarks. Yeah, shout them out. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, with you, uh, watching the Bills game was renewed sadness over the Ravens, uh, <laughs> over how that game unfolded. Uh, that that came spiraling back, but otherwise, beyond that feeling, um, a good weekend. You know, it certainly wasn't as dramatic as you said the wildcard game, or especially I think back to last year's uh, divisional round where we saw both number one seeds fall. That epic Chiefs Bills game. Uh, every game in in divisional weekend ended on, I believe, a walk off score. Um, so, you know, we didn't get that. <laughs> we didn't get that this week. Uh, but I, I think we got some interesting games still, um, and, and especially setting up some interesting conference title games, which I think's going to be great uh, this upcoming weekend. So all in all, can't complain. I think when you get this far into the season, you know, there's only three NFL games left, so you kind of got to savor every one of them at this point. So, yeah, I, I, I had an enjoyable weekend. Just probably wish the drama was uh, adjusted a little more, but some fun was had. So Jace mentioned, yeah, there are only three NFL games left. So this past week was when we were winnowing down and focusing on the best teams and the biggest games and some of the biggest profile games and sporting events for the NFL and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm leading with that because I think when it gets to these last few weeks of the NFL season, the, toward the end of the postseason, the announcers, the media, they, they handle the games maybe with a slightly wider scope because they realize the audience. Maybe, you know, somebody's mom who doesn't watch football normally is watching these playoff games or somebody's great uncle who doesn't really can't really stay up for for television uh once it gets past six seven eight o'clock at night they're watching games so it just felt like this was the time of we need to give more basic information to the good people and it was infuriating to me and we're jumping in with a what's bothering antonio right off the jump here four minutes into the show because this was the week of everyone announcing how very famous and very well-accoladed people are actually criminally underrated. And it was driving me insane all weekend. We heard Patrick Mahomes, the undisputed number one player in the NFL, with a half-billion-with-a-B dollar contract, is actually underrated, guys. He's really underrated. Wow, he carried his team with one leg. Uh, who would have thought? That this guy, oh, out of the heartland, this guy How? Patrick Mahomes, this guy Patrick Mahomes, he's just such a character. Oh, Antonio, you got, you have to understand, this guy playing quarterback is playing it like nobody else in the league. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Just the little, little Collinsworth accolades there. We had to deal with, oh my gosh, Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator of the Cincinnati Bengals, whose name is brought up on every telecast that the Bengals are in, at least, as one of the best coordinators in the league, actually nobody knows who he is. He's actually completely <laughs> unknown, according to every single announcing team, every single week, as they're announcing him as one of the greatest coordinators. We know it. We got it. We know who he is. We know he does a good job. Did you guys know he does a really good job in the second half of scheming his D to adjust to the first half? I've heard that a hundred times in the past four weeks. We got RG3... Talking about how 49ers linebacker Fred Warner 
this year's first team All-Pro is actually so underrated, and he's so underappreciated. No, he isn't. He's rated properly. He has All-Pro as his rate. He's rated as an (laughs) All-Pro, which is the number one accolade you can get, basically, as a linebacker. That's what he is, and he's gotten that twice. We know who he is. We know he's very good. He is the best at his job. Jamar Chase has quotes saying Joe Burrow, quote, gets overlooked and, quote, is disrespected. Actually, the number one overall pick, the comeback player of the year, the Super Bowl runner-up, 2022 Pro Bowl quarterback, is actually, he's properly looked. He's not overlooked. He's not underlooked. He is properly looked. Uh, and it, and these aren't even all the examples. These are just the ones I could come up with before we recorded. All of these people can just be good. We don't have to throw fake obstacles in front of them. They're good. They don't need the obstacles. They're good at their craft. So because of this annoyance, we're not talking about those guys yet. Forget about that. That's going to be the second half of the show. We're leading with Ravens news because I'm so tired of all these underrated, not actually underrated coaches, players, whatever. We're leading with Ravens news, so stick it. Uh, Greg Roman is gone. He's no longer the offensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens. Which one of us uh, wants to take the lead on the eulogy? I feel like I just ranted for a few minutes, so whoever's got the fire, whoever's got the passion for uh, the end of an era of Ravens offensive football, please dive in. I I will start with this. Um, I understand the journalists and people that have relationships inside of the organization needing to keep those... Uh, connections but the amount of love that Greg Roman got after quote mutually parting ways on Twitter was a bit ridiculous Um, I understand that the best offense the Ravens have ever seen is probably under Greg Roman's tutelage I understand that as Jace so eloquently puts in our document that we use for this this beautiful program that we bring you that he's probably the best offensive coordinator in Ravens history. If you look at the pure numbers. Pure numbers. But I saw a lot of tweets of, I'll never forget the times that Greg Roman brought me. I, I've never had as much fun watching the Ravens as I have with Lamar Jackson and Greg Roman. I have, because this team won two Super Bowls without him. And that was more fun than watching this guy poop down his leg for the biggest moments in the biggest games every single time. Uh, I, I'm not going to go full you know, heel turn on Greg Roman. We don't need to bury the guy while he's down. And, you know, I, am, I will agree with the sentiment that I'm kind of glad they just did the whole mutual parting of ways. It's a good relationship thing to do. It's good for future hires coming into the organization that we're not going to completely burn you. Like, you, we understand what's going on here. But it was time. Like, and... We said this, I think we said this last week, two weeks ago, what have you. Or I mean, we've probably been saying it for a year and a half, to be honest. The fact that I had doubts about this move actually happening was the biggest concern. And credit to the Ravens, even before this big Thursday presser where they literally said nothing. Uh, they just kind of dropped this news and let it go and, and move on. Um, I think it was smart and, I don't know, like... 
I just, it was weird to me that it happened and everybody is so worried about, like, pissing people off that they were like, oh, well, you know, uh, Greg Roman was actually really, really good. If you look at it, the Ravens were so good in the rushing game and the Ravens put up that 14-2 and season one time. And remember this time that the Ravens did this and Lamar Jackson did win MVP. You all hated Greg Roman not 24 hours ago. Not, not, not 12. Not 12. And then the, the, it's all this... Pour one out for Greg Roman. No, I'm going to drink mine for not Greg Roman. I'm not going to pour it out. I'm not going to waste any of this precious, precious Tito's on Greg Roman uh, and his time in Baltimore. It was fun. I'm sure I'll be annoyed about the running game in like week six next year because it's not getting the same gains that it did under Greg Roman. But look, it was beyond time. And I can't even give the... I want to say credit to the Ravens. I can't even give the Ravens credit for making the move because it was so beyond overdue. But to, to end, I guess, on a little bit of a happy note, I'm very excited to see where this goes. Um, I don't think it's going to be, you know, be enemy coming in here. I don't think it's going to be like Frank Reich is not happening, guys. I, I know this is something that people think Frank Reich is not coming in to manage this offense. It's just not going to happen. It's going to be some unknown. But even with that, if you set your expectations there, I am kind of excited to see who they bring in uh, because, you know, like a Mike McDonald worked out good defensive coordinator. That guy knows what he's talking about. And I think the Ravens are smart enough to make a good hire uh, on the offensive side of the football too. So, uh, you know, new beginnings are always fun, I would say. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. It's, it's weird with the Ravens. I, it is, I guess, not bridge burning and trying to, you know, win the PR battle, but it is it's interesting. So ridiculous. The way they handle things, just, they never will say, <laughs> that they fired someone it's unclear exactly whose call this was um but you know last year when they fired uh wink martindale the uh john harbaugh said they both quote agreed to move forward in separate directions so to borrow from john again from when he uh talked about wink's firing the move to get rid of greg roman no matter whose call it was sometimes the moment comes and it's the right time <laughs> John Harbaugh said this about Wink Martindale, and it's true about Greg Roman. It was the right time. And the way you know it's the right time, Tim, you mentioned, like, um, yeah, I there there are numbers that suggest Roman is one of the more successful offensive coordinators the Ravens have ever had, which, you know, low bar and all that. But in his 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 weird exit statement trumping up kind of his own accomplishments, uh, accomplishments in Baltimore, uh, I kept noticing one thing, and... All the numbers he cited in his exit statement, you know, touting these successes, they all circled back to one date. It's 2019. We've played mm -hmm. three full seasons since the 2019 season. The Ravens' offense has gotten worse every season. So that is why Greg Roman is gone. I think it's pretty pretty cut and dry. Um, as I said, it's weird that we don't really know whose call it is. He, he <laughs> released a bizarre statement that said, was headlined, Greg Roman to pursue other opportunities. And he just... Uh, said he is exploring new challenges and opportunities. And then the Ravens, for their part, never even addressed that he was leaving other than saying like they wish him luck. So it was bizarre all the way around. But in the end, you know, the right call was made um, uh, to part ways, regardless of exactly who, if it actually was Roman's decision. The writing was on the wall. Um, but I will say I'm a little, I'm not as excited as you, Tim, just because I do feel like if, you are going to win a Super Bowl. You kind of need to land a top shelf OC. 
And that is just going to be a real, real, real big challenge with the Lamar uncertainty this offseason. I think hiring any offensive coordinator, frankly, that isn't going to just be an internal promotion. So that interesting point, like I look excited is probably the wrong word because I agree with you there. Um, but I'm excited. It's not Greg Roman. Like, look, I can, <laughs> I, I know, oh, the human element. You got to be sensitive. Like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not talking about like, I hate the guy personally. But the Ravens were never winning a Super Bowl with Greg Roman up there in the booth with calling plays. Like, it just wasn't going to happen. I almost went way meaner there, and I'm glad I didn't. I think there are – I think a couple other points there are interesting too where – I'll go Lamar second. I think that the fact that there are so many openings – I think this is now 10 or maybe more offensive coordinator openings in the National Football League at this point. And – I think you're exactly right that the Lamar uncertainty makes it interesting for like a is Frank Reich coming? Yeah, I just keep bringing that name up because it's the one that everybody immediately went to. Like oh, he went to Maryland, everyone's got to think he wants. Yeah, to right. You know who'll be a good guy? The Colts used to be in Baltimore. Like just the the laziest connections of all time. Um, I I think the amount of openings in the league. <clears throat> is more of an issue than the Lamar uncertainty. Um, and I will be optimistic right now. And I'm, I'm not taking anything they said at that press conference with any sort of truth. Because if you don't know, and, and, and good on Antonio, kind of the, the, basically the producer of this show who puts together our rundowns every week when we talk about stuff. He didn't put the press conference in, and I'm so glad he didn't. Or maybe I missed it. But I'm so glad he didn't because there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Okay, a little thing. Yeah, I, I, I don't read good, apparently. Because as soon as they said, well, Lamar Jackson's our quarterback and we're working to make this, he's going to be the future of this team, I immediately disregarded everything you said. <laughs> All of that being said, I think the fact that Greg Roman is leaving gives the Ravens a better shot at signing Lamar Jackson. And I'll tell you why. I think because if they were really, really scared of losing Lamar, they were not going to get rid of this run game structure that they had, that they could implement a young quarterback or a, God, Jimmy G quarterback into. I think if they knew that they were screwed on the Lamar front, they probably would have kept Roman with all the toxicity and with all the issues the fan base would have had, because remember, this fan base or this uh, franchise treats its fan base like we're all stupid and we don't know what's going on half of the time. Like, that's just the truth of it. It is. I think he stays on if they're not certain with Lamar. The fact that he's gone, I'm not saying it's a certainty. I'm not saying we're getting a deal anytime soon. I'm saying, you know, when, even when we move to bi weekly shows after the Super Bowl, we're still going to be talking about. Lamar Jackson pretty much to lead every single show and it's going to be infuriating. But I think there is still a better chance that that man stays because they went, we'll make the change here. Even consult him. Screw it. I would consult him on the matter as well. Um, And something, the fact that they basically can't get rid of both. I think, in my mind anyway. Like, they would be insane to go new offensive coordinator with that defense that they have and the wep- and even some of the offensive talent they have, offensive line, how good it is, the running back room as well. I think they would be insane to go new, new OC, new QB 
And I think they know it too. So God willing, and it, you know, this means from 5% to at right now, like seven and a half <laughs> that he actually signs. Um, I, I think there is a little bit more hope that Lamar Jackson remains in Baltimore for the foreseeable future. The only note I had in the, uh, in the rundown about the press conference was basically, are, are there any takeaways? So Tim, the uh, absence of takeaways, that can be the takeaway from that, that is my the takeaway. Pres- yeah. There's that. Yeah. A lot of just, I mean, press conference speak PR speak in that, um, the only thing I will add, you guys have touched on on just about everything. I remember we were in this position exactly a year ago where it was, is the defensive coordinator going to go? Is the OC going to go? Is the head coach going to go? Is it going to be all of them? And then it seemed like this sort of uh, Bishotti, Harbaugh, uh, I don't know, like blood packed or like the, the sacrifice was the defensive coordinator. And he immediately signed somewhere else the same offseason and then had a pretty great season with the New York Giants that Martindale did. So I think we wanted both of them gone. If I remember uh, the conversations we would have had a year ago, I think we wanted to start fresh on both sides. We got one and then not the other. And we were kind of upset. And it was like, well, let's see what happens this year with Roman. I guess this is truly his last chance. Now Harbaugh looks to his left and he looks to his right and the disciples are gone. They're all gone at this point. He is the last one standing and this is this the last season for him. Now I think it's pretty much guaranteed this coming season if they don't exceed whatever the set expectations are that he will be gone. And so that decision, I mean I don't think Harbaugh maybe decided 100% to get rid of Roman but... He was involved in it, and he knows now there are no other bodies that can fall before him, basically. So, obviously, the Lamar Jackson situation is going to determine whether this team is a Super Bowl contender or try to go 500 contender, or are they really just going to try to blow things up, at least from the offensive side, and try to draft a quarterback, whatever, develop a quarterback. So, based on whatever that standard is, if it's trading him, and then drafting a guy in the top 10 somehow and then developing that if they go if they win 3 games Harbaugh's probably out anyway if they keep Lamar and they win 9 games and lose their first playoff game he's probably out after that so an interesting inflection point looking at a year ago looking at today and then let's see where we are a year from now fellas let's hope we are still talking about NFL football games as opposed to yet again some other massive change needs to be made to maximize the talent that is on this football team. Um, anything else from, from Ravenland? Jace, do you want to jump in with anything from the, the press conference or maybe look at some of the candidates for the offensive coordinator? So, I know so, you've done some research on that. <laughs> the press conference, you guys are right. I mean, it was like just they said what had uh, – Jeff Zerebrick said this. Like they said they what they had to say. Uh, they put on a good – Put on a good front, uh, some classic Harbaugh quotes in this one, Antonio. We could have built an entire show out of just things John Harbaugh said. Uh, he said with 200% certainty that Lamar Jackson is our quarterback uh, in 2023 and claims Lamar wants to be here, even though we've received zero indication that's true and even some indication that's not true with him liking photos of him in other teams' jerseys. So beyond that, the most illuminating thing to me just in, in that press conference 
uh, was actually something Eric DaCosta said. He doesn't reveal much, but sometimes just how DaCosta will phrase something. I guess it's when you don't meet with the media every single day. You're not as robotic, perhaps, or you're just a more normal human, perhaps, than John Harbaugh is. Uh, so DaCosta had this to say. He said, I talked to Lamar today, as I said, and our focus right now is really to get a long-term deal done. That's our singular focus at this point. It's going to take some time, it's going to take some effort, and it's going to take great communication, give and take, but I'm confident that we'll be on the right path to get that done. So when I heard those that last sequence of words, I am, I went from about 20% he'll be back, uh, Tim was where I was, and then I'd, I'd slowly gained confidence throughout the week, and then that press conference happened, and I said, they're trading Lamar Jackson this oh, offseason, <laughs> and this whole press conference was just to, to put up a good front and... Uh, keep protect his trade value, but we'll talk about that obviously more and more as the off season goes on. But the the takes time thing too, I think does sort of just play into this offensive coordinator search. I do think this is not something that's going to be resolved quickly. I think there was a very good indication last year when they fired uh, Martindale that Mike McDonald quickly emerged as a top candidate, um, and that deal seemed kind of seemed it was immediately destined to be him sort of right off the jump. Um, this report just from Jeremy Fowler really made me laugh. We kind of touched on some of these guys, but, uh, he shared this on Twitter on Sunday night. He said, among prominent coaching names, I'm hearing are firmly on the Ravens radar for offensive coordinator, former Colts coach, Frank Reich, chiefs offensive coordinator, Eric B and former Bucks offensive coordinator, Byron Leftwich, then some in-house coordinator, uh, candidates, T Urban, J uh, T Martin, James Urban. I just love this phrase that these guys are on the radar for the Ravens. Doesn't mean the the guys are interested. Doesn't mean the Ravens are even talking to them. <laughs> just means Jace, becoming <laughs> becoming a billionaire is on my radar. I just want you to know that it's very much on my I'm, radar. I'm aware for of it. in the future. <laughs> I'm aware billionaires exist, <laughs> and I'm trying to maybe do that. I'm not taking any steps to really move in that direction, but I am. It's on my radar. Uh, so that made me laugh, and yeah, the Jeff Zerubic had some more concrete sort of stuff in his piece he published today, um, and honestly, I'm not even going to run through these names. Four guys you've never heard of who serve in past game coordinator slash quarterbacks coach slash wide receiver coach roles for the Rams, Browns, Seahawks, and Vikings have all received, I guess, formal uh, interview requests from the Ravens, and I just found that interesting just in the sense that uh, at the season at a press conference, Harbaugh mentioned, you know, the run first identity is something they're going to quote, carry forward. And then everyone they've officially asked to interview is passing game related. So I think it's very clear. The Ravens are aware of what they don't do well. And, uh, despite what they say, uh, this will shock you. Despite what the Ravens said publicly, their actions are suggesting something else. Uh, they're moving in a different direction, at least a little bit and try to adapt just a little bit. So, not surprising, considering the whole thing with Greg Roman was, oh, his past game concepts aren't very complex and good. Uh, so, you know, we'll see where it goes. I think it'll be long. I think it'll be drawn out. And I will be absolutely stunned if Frank Reich is the offensive coordinator of this team in 2023. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to belabor the point that Jace made, but... Let's just see when the hire happens and then, you know, even probably until midway through the season or what have you, how much is different? That is what I'm intrigued by on the offensive side of the ball. And just one final uh, Lamar-related thing, Antonio. Uh, today, as we record on Monday, uh, the Ravens claimed his cousin off of waivers uh, from the Cowboys, a former second-round pick of the Raiders. 
Uh, not especially good player, <laughs> Trayvon Mullen, uh, cornerback, so the Ravens do need cornerback depth. Will this guy be on the team? Who knows? Is this probably just a giant ploy to be like, we love you, Lamar? Probably. But I saw the guy found interesting. Just Lamar's cousin is now technically a member of the Ravens as well. Yeah, Jace, I can tell you if he's going to make the team. Uh, it depends on who the quarterback <laughs> is, is in August of this year for the Ravens. All right. See, it's pod like a Raven. We did 30 minutes on the Ravens during a weekend of playoff football without them. Uh, let's do the random Raven now, and then we'll turn to the football that was played. I am up this week, and uh, I think this one's fun. They're, my co-hosts, they're not going to like it, but I think it's fun. All right. This random Raven. Played the majority of his career for an AFC North rival. He was drafted by that team in the fourth round of the 2006 NFL Draft and played with them for 11 seasons, averaging 47 tackles, 1.5 sacks, and 3.5 tackles per loss each season as a mainstay on their defensive line. After two years in Denver in 2017 and 2018, this player joined the Ravens mid-season in 2019 to bolster the interior of the line, and he played in all seven games from when he signed, starting three of them, and he played in the playoff loss against the Tennessee Titans that we all remember quite well. This player, known for his long, big hair, wore number 94 for the majority of his career, but wore 96 with the Ravens. After 2019, he played one more year in Arizona before retiring. I'm going to stop there for now. I know there's not a ton there. I have a bonus clue, but it's very, very helpful. So I'm probably going to save that for the end of the episode. Um, Jace is in fits. He's rolling on the floor. Get up, Jace. What's, What's going on? I, I thought, like, I know, I see the hair, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, in my in my nightmares, you could say. Um, but, uh, no, I, I just couldn't fully remember this guy's, like, first name. But I think I have a name. Uh, I've, I've, it eventually kind of trickled in there. But I forgot this guy played for the Ravens. So this is the whole point of this segment, randomly. <laughs> I saw him, you know, sometimes I just need to go to, like, happy places. So I was watching... Uh... What was it? Maybe Justin Tucker game winners, and that was the one in the 49ers game that season in the rain, and this player just ran out onto the field to congratulate him, and I said, what is he doing in a Ravens uniform? (laughs) So that's the random Raven. All right, I will answer that at the end of the show. Let's turn now to some NFL football games, starting with the Chiefs hanging on against the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jags with the sweet late cover that Tim mentioned at the top uh, helped all of us, really, because both Jason and I had the Jags uh, in our gambling section as I think the line was eight and a half at the time. So uh, snuck that cover in for all three of us. So thank you there. Um, And I have one thing to say about this game. A lot of good, fun things, but obviously the talking point all this week and even during the weekend was the Patrick Mahomes ankle injury. Patrick Mahomes on one leg. He's so underrated, guys. Wow. Uh, I have one thing to say about this, and I got so many stupid hot takes this week, I might be, like, I don't know, fired from the show, even though it's our show. Uh, I have one thing to say, and then I I allow you guys to just, I don't know, Tim, mute the mic, you know, cut me off, whatever you gotta do. 
are we even allowed to question whether Mahomes running, limping, hobbling on one leg and throwing everything off of his front foot and losing all mobility is better than a healthy backup quarterback who in his one drive took the team 99 yards for a touchdown? Can we even ask, or does anybody who dares question toughness, blah, 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 get just automatically blasted into the sun? I mean, I get he had a couple of great drives considering his injury, but can we even question whether or not, like, maybe somebody who has two legs would have had similar success, maybe would have scored more touchdowns considering how well he played on his one drive, Henny? I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm so afraid. I'm, I'm like terrified that I even said that out loud. But uh, but it's out there now. Yeah, I mean we can uh, we can do whatever the hell we want. This is our show. We can question <laughs> it if you want. Um, I think it's more of look, especially and I like Collinsworth. Um, and again, like I, I wasn't listening to the game because we were out. Uh, but the. I already know, and I did, did a terrible Collinsworth impression earlier in the show. I know, I know what was happening, and it's the trying to put this in a way that um, I'm allowed to say on a family show. The suck off that Collinsworth does for particular players, um, and just won't shut up about. So that kind of puts this whole thing in, in our in our um, in our head that we're not allowed to question it. The only the only retort I would have is that it worked, and that credit to Andy Reid. Andy Reid made him get a scan before bringing him back out uh, for a player in the heat of the moment who was desperate to go out on the field. Andy Reid made him get a scan to make sure nothing was broken, make sure protecting him against himself. Essentially, saw it was a high ankle. Doctor said he could go back out there. He puts him back out there. Um, I I think we can question it, but also recognize that hey it was probably the right move because look maybe just go full collinsworth patrick mahomes on one leg is better than chad Henney every day of the week antonio uh so i i think it was probably smart but yeah i think there's certainly a question to be had about it i think for us as ravens fans too it's especially hard to grapple with like watching a quarterback who wants to play through an injury um so there was there's that side of things as well uh but you know I was kind of shocked he went out there. I thought they would only put Mahomes back in a break glass in case of emergency type situation, especially after Henny takes him down the field, puts him up 10 with that that really nice drive. Um, You know, he he played most of that game a few years ago when Mahomes got knocked out uh, with a concussion, or at least the second half of that game, I think. And that was kind of a white knuckler against the Browns in 2020, I believe, or in January of 2021. But, uh... Um, yeah, I mean, as you said, they did get the win. They advanced to the AFC title game, but, you know, it's like, did he, is he going to be worse for the title game now? Is he going to be better? I don't know. Um, I'm with you, though. I'm, uh, at least they, you know, did get scans to make sure his foot wasn't broken. That would have been bad <laughs> to play on a broken foot, certainly. Uh, but I will also say, Antonio, um, this game is yet another NFL is rigged uh, game for me. Um, when Jamal Agnew, uh, Jaguars wide receiver, running back, he used to be a DB, so I don't really even know what officially his title is. Just kind of threw the ball, just kind of threw the ball at the Chiefs inside the 10-yard line um, with his team down 10 points, kind of eliminating any potential comeback ability. Uh 
That was, I was like, oh my God. Uh, so, you know, I think the Jaguars, amazing season. I believe they're the first team to win a playoff game after having the NFL's worst record. So that's, you know, they, they, they're only building from here. I think they're on an upwards trajectory, but they should be kind of kicking themselves too. Cause this game with a hobbled Patrick Mahomes was there to win. And they just, they, I never felt like they were going to win. They just seemed like a step behind the whole game. Um, and you know, that's why the Chiefs are a better team. That's why they're the number one seed. The Jags are the number uh, one, four seed that went nine and eight. But uh, yeah, I'd be disappointed if I was a Jags fan, even as as great as this season was, just because the way that game played out, it was there to win with Mahomes in the state. Like, he didn't look good. I didn't think. Like, so that's where I'm with you, where I'm like, I feel like, yeah, at a certain point, I'd rather just play Henny. At least he can move. Like, like. 38-year-old Chad Henney or whatever he was could move better than Patrick Mahomes could on Sunday, and yet Mahomes was still just out there. So, I don't know. You know, wins are all that matters at the end that, that uh, got worked out. So, And perhaps an unfair shot at Lamar by yours truly, but uh, I, I couldn't help myself watching this game. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> just made me feel bad about the Ravens all over again watching, watching Mahomes kind of gut it out. So, you know. I think yeah, the expected the, uh... result. So, uh, yeah, Jags, great season. Chiefs, let's see how Mahomes' ankle is. There was the uh, the Agnew fumble that was odd. A couple of bad calls. There seemed to be identical hits on the quarterback, one for each team. We can guess which one got called and which one didn't. There was a hold on, I think it was on Kelsey, and it was a hold but I've never seen a flag thrown so late for something that happened so early in the play where it's just, oh no, the refs absolutely are deciding whether or not to throw flags on penalties they have seen. Like, they yeah. saw the hold and then are just deciding whether or not to that throw was, a flag for it. That was, uh, are they going to complete the pass? And if they don't, I'm not going to throw it. <laughs> Which is good to know. You know, it's good to see that that's how refs handle these games. Um, and some others, just some other little things that, you know, I'm never going to stop watching the NFL, but I have my doubts, Jace. I have my doubts every weekend about what's going on with these games. All right. <laughs> the next game, uh, Eagles blowing no out the Giants. <laughs> Eagles are who we thought they were, in a good way. Um, it turns out that Philly, they're the team that went 14-1 and when Jalen Hurts was their starting quarterback, and that the Giants were the team that went 9-1 and with their, or 9-7-1 and with their starting quarterback. It's a 500 football team traveling to the number one seed uh, in Philly with two weeks. And that's what the game was. That's exactly what the game was. I feel like there was way too much talk, I guess, because it's a New York football team or just a New York team in general. So much over talk about this game. Wish I would have, like, bet the farm on it because it was over after one possession, basically. uh, And it was a blowout the entire time, as it should have been from the first snap. Well, the, the Giants were basically the only team that wasn't chalk, right, F- That from Wild Card Weekend. So I feel like everyone wants to think of, like, the dark horse that's going to go on a deep run. They want, the, they want the underdog. And I just never saw it. Like, you mentioned it. The Eagles were 12-1 and when Hurts got hurt, and that win to make them 12-1, and they beat the Giants 48-22 to in New Jersey. Uh, so, you know, I, I just didn't think the matchup was good. And if, I, if they had any relative health, and then the other thing, people, was that game where Hurts comes back, they kind of struggled the last week of the season versus the Giants' backups. And again, again, they was never really in doubt. They led 16-0 and were kind of in control most of the game until the very, very end. 
Um, I just, yeah, thought people galaxy brained it sort of with wanting an upset to happen versus just, yeah, looking at it like it was, which is a much better team versus a team that hadn't gotten, like the Jaguars, a fantastic season. I think this was, uh, the season couldn't have gone better for the Giants. They hadn't won a playoff game since they won the Super Bowl in 2011. So, you know, they did that. They did that in the first year with their new coach. It's a fantastic year. Uh, but I don't understand. I didn't understand everyone who just suddenly abandoned the Eagles bandwagon because they had like a three straight weeks. Maybe that's hindsight bias, confirmation bias of what we saw. But I wasn't shocked. That, I mean, I was a little shocked it was as dominant as it was. But I was not surprised that the Eagles won this game fairly handily. I think a lot of it, too, was, uh, you know, we all like to pick not only the Dark Horse team, but the, the bye week team. And this is not as uh, relevant now because there's only two bye week teams rather than four. But the bye week team that's going to lose because of rest versus rust and all that fun conversation. And the, and the Jalen Hurts health. We didn't know. Like, we didn't know how healthy that guy was. We didn't know how healthy Lane Johnson was. Uh, they both were fine. They both were very, very, very much fine. And um, I put a, a small sprinkle on the Eagles <coughs> to win the Super Bowl before this game. And I'm very happy I did it before and not after. Uh, because I think that this team, for a team that is this good, actually might have a chip on their shoulder. One, because they're from Philly, and that's what Philly does. <laughs> Philly's just like big Baltimore, where we both just have massive chips on our shoulder for no reason whatsoever. Um, and two, because there were some doubters about the team that was – you know, for most of the season, unquestionably the best team in the National Football League. So that's dangerous. A team that's that good to be that mad and that pissed off um, is something to see. You know, Niners-Eagles on Sunday at the link is going to be something special this Sunday. I can't wait for it. And as and then on the Giants side as well, you know, credit to Brian Dable. But, like, last ten games, Brian Dable's 3-6-1. and one. And we're all – there are particular podcasts that I don't need to mention here because I don't need promotion that were saying as of a week ago that he might be, quote, the best coach in the National Football League. Let's just let's <laughs> slow down a little bit. Let's slow down. I, I know it's New York, and I know it's the Giants, and everybody wants New York teams to be good. Well, at least they try and make you think that everybody wants New York team to be good when, in fact – Everybody wants New York teams to be bad because that's more funny and everybody hates New York. New York City is a trash town. Ever been there? It just smells like garbage the entire place. Uh, I, I, forgot, I forgot about this. This uh, The entire Tim's, place Tim's just smells like York garbage. City. It's bad. It's just a bad place to be. It's crowded. It's hard to, it's hard to get around. The traffic sucks and it smells like trash. Like, I don't understand the allure of New York. Like, all, the, all this bull, you know, whatever, family show. Uh <laughs> anyway, not not to not to take shots at Brian Dable, but like I think the entire conversation around the Giants needed to be slowed down just a little bit. Um, and yeah, they they got what was coming to them uh, from a very very upset and mean Eagles team that I cannot wait to watch match up against the Niners. New York, so much traffic they named it twice. Never, never forget. <laughs> uh, all right, let's turn to the Sunday games. Cool. Maybe the. I does this have to be the most fun game of the weekend? I don't know. It looked cool. The snow was awesome in Buffalo, and uh, the Bengals expose in all ways 
the Buffalo Bills. Uh, there's two ways to talk about this game. Uh, we can talk about the game and the teams that played it, or we could just talk about how good we can confirm now, even more so, just how good the Ravens' defense was. Because they gave up 17 points and 250 yards in Cincinnati in fine weather against the Bengals, and the Bengals then nearly double that on the road in the snow against the Bills. Um, Ravens D, you're set. You're ready for next season. I'm into it. I'm excited. Try to be like that, you know, get back to the days of they're a top 10 unit every single year because the core is there. And this was like the litmus test of seeing what the Bengals were able to do one week after against what was supposed to also be a good defense, but was instead a Bills group that looked like they were on their back foot from the first snap of the game to the last. I was so, I don't want to say distraught watching this game, but it did kind of make me sad all over again because it just made me think of Tyler Huntley and that stupid QB sneak and what should have been us playing. Uh, but I'm also, to your point, encouraged me a little because I think, you know, we, we've we criticized the Ravens' leadership a lot on the show, but I do think they have built a defense as we saw for, you know, 15 years. The Ravens used to build their team to try to beat Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers. They have now swung to try to beat Joe Burrow and the Bengals, and they have the best defense in the NFL, I think, at doing that, at limiting them. Basically, no team had less success, and of course, they played them three times, but the Bengals had the, like, the least success all year against the, the Ravens in their three By matches. far. By far. And so that's encouraging that like they have built this good defense that is designed to limit... Uh, Joe Burrow, and that's exciting to look forward to. And but yes, as we said at the same time, it does make me just a tad sad that we weren't watching the Ravens. You know, well, they would have played the Chiefs actually, the way mm-hmm. it played out. But that the Ravens didn't advance because you know that game was there for the taking, and it it did just remind you how well they played, and that just kind of made it hurt more, honestly, for me, uh, like a week removed. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, at the same time, you have to credit the Bengals. They went in, they kicked butt from the, the second the game started, but I, I just couldn't help but be a little bit bummed at our I just, I just envisioned Jace getting the, like, flashbacks to the game that we... Oh, they, you cut me open. You cut me open. I can see it. Yeah, you zip me. You zip me. You got me. Uh, uh, I... How do I do this without not being too uh, fan biased. The Bengals have a golden horseshoe shoved up their rear end. Like, I just, I cannot understand. I think they're a good team. Joe Burrow is a fantastic quarterback. They have two number one wide receivers. Have you ever heard of their defensive coordinator, Antonio? Have you ever heard of him? I don't know if I have, Tim. I don't know. Lou Anarumo, to the point where he has a nickname in the media, but we don't talk about him enough. But he has a nickname. A defensive coordinator has a nickname in the media, but we don't talk about him enough. Big Lou is what they call him. I think they're a good team. And I think I'm going to flip-flop back and forth about who's winning the game in Kansas City uh, between them and the Chiefs. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the Bengals go to the Super Bowl again. All of that being said, the amount of luck that this team has and the amount of we're disrespected. Like, I'm talking about the Eagles, right? And I kind of get it with the Eagles where we're all writing off a team that was unquestionably the best team in football for most of the regular season. The Bengals are mad 
that they started selling tickets to the Atlanta AFC Championship game, which would would have, would have been the neutral site game if the Bills and the Chiefs met. They're upset about that because they're feeling disrespected when I don't know if you don't know how the things work Cincinnati. You're you're stuck out there in 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 no, jeez, it's so hard to be a family show today. I don't know what's <laughs> gotten into me. It's you have to sell tickets ahead of time for an AFC Championship game. You know that teams that are even not technically in the playoffs yet sell tickets for playoff games that then get refunded if you if your team doesn't make the playoffs. And yet the Cincinnati Bengals use this, they're already selling tickets to Atlanta because they think the Bills are going there instead of us, as bulletin board material to the point where Joe Burrow, who his outfits are just regular, by the way, he doesn't have cool outfits all the time. I don't need to see them on every third post on my Instagram because the algorithm is completely screwed up. That Joey, Joey Burr. No, no, it's just it's just a coat because it's snowing outside. Like, we know. It's fine. To the point where he goes afterwards of the game, oh, better get those refunds. And everybody goes, oh, the Bengals chip on their shoulder. Look at this team. Who are they mad at? A man died on the field and they had to cancel a game and make and make provisions around that and they're they're treating it as well yeah that that damar hamlin guy like he, he screwed things up for us no he didn't what the, the, the fact that they are like oh we nobody believes in us everybody is sucking you off everyone in this media everybody and you only beat tyler huntley because that idiot tried to jump from the two yard line and, and that's the only reason you beat the ravens who were criminally bad who were horrendous and you couldn't and you barely beat them and then you walk all over this Bills team and I apologize this is, I just looking at my waveform it's just all rants for me today I'm so sorry about this you beat this Bills team who frankly you know what credit to the Bengals they showed up the Bills in Buffalo a team that is supposed to win a Super Bowl Going through their home state, oh, the Bills Mafia, the Buffalo will be a real advantage in January. And they built a dome team who wasn't ready to play. They weren't ready to play. Matt Milano, who, again, have you ever heard of Matt Milano, Antonio? Another guy you've probably never heard of, even though they bring his name up like 13 times a quarter about how, oh, how this guy, yeah, he's kind of small for a linebacker. He's so tough, that guy. What, what a player. He got bullied all over the field by Joe Mixon, who was like... He's a good running back, but not like a Gus Edwards run you over type of guy. Milano was carried the entire game. Every time you watched him, that team got the credit. You know what? Credit the Bengals as much as I'm going off on a tangent about how I can't stand them. And a lot of that's just AFC North rivalry and what have you. Credit to the Bengals because they went in there and they smacked the Bills in the mouth. And the Bills were not ready. They were not ready. And that is an embarrassment. And as a Ravens fan, you know who I'm not scared of? The Buffalo freaking Bills. I'm not scared of him anymore. Josh Allen is press all the buttons guy. Like, that's who he is. He's not this dynamic quarterback who might make mistakes sometimes. He was legitimately bad. Stefan Diggs is a head case. That guy, every three years, is just upset about a situation. Uh, Third-round draft pick for Stefan Diggs, please. Uh, that would be fine with me. But that's who he is. The he defense, went to Maryland. He, he definitely wants to come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah another right. guy. He definitely, he definitely wants, wants to, to come home. Yeah, quote unquote, come home, Stefan Diggs. Yeah, that would be great. Um, you know, we'll do it at Looney's. It'll, it'll be awesome, like we did the last time. Uh, I just the the AFC is is a gauntlet, and it is tough, and, and I I will not fault that at all. 
But one team just dropped off that tra- that pedestal this weekend in terms of next season where we're like, oh, man, that's a gauntlet. Look at all these young quarterbacks, and we're dreading, like, uh, the Ravens. We have to go through all these guys. You know who we don't have to go any- through anymore? The Buffalo Bills, because I'm not scared of them. We beat that team eight times out of seven. And it's just – it's simple as that because I think that was just – a that was horrendous, uh, what they what they put on there uh, on Sunday. As annoyed as I am by the Bengals, like Burrow, I believe, posted on Instagram uh, today as we record, un, uh, uninvited guests or something along those shut lines. Shut up. Just and, shut up. And, and, which is like, they, the AFC They're going to be flabbergasted, be in, Jace, when they find out the Super Bowl is at a neutral site. They determine <laughs> that ahead of time. I don't know if they know that yet. Oh, my God. when they figure it out, they're going to use that as all the fuel that they need. Super Bowl's yeah, not like, in Cincy? What? They don't want to meet us in Ohio in early February. It's like, that's Nobody hard. wants to go to your trash city with your terrible chili. Nobody. The people, the only people that are there are the people that were born there. That's it. Nobody goes to Cincinnati. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead, Jace. I, I, I mean, fast food chili on spaghetti. It's just a repulsive idea. Horrendous <laughs> idea. And then you make your name. Like, you're known for it. Like, that's not the thing that you bury in the sand. Like, Baltimore, we do some, we do some weird stuff. But, you know, crabs are great, and that's the one that we just push in front of everybody. Old Bay's great. We just push that one in front of everybody. You know, The Wire, we weirdly claim that for some reason, even though it's all about drugs and murder. That's fine. But, but, but spaghetti, spaghetti and chili together, what are you doing? And, it, and the chili's just meat. The, there's no beans in their chili. It's just meat sauce. Sorry. I'm, now, we're, now we're going off. Into the, this is an off-season conversation to yeah. be had. My apologies. But, so as, but as annoyed as I was for them, they did play well. And I think they rose to the moment. But I still think this game actually says more about the Bills. And I'm with you in terms of their place in the AFC, their long-term trajectory. So this is, you know, two straight divisional uh, playoff losses for the Bills. It's... A you know, they were pretty handled by the Chiefs in the 2020 AFC title game. Um, it, it's it's starting to add up, and I think the biggest thing for me is they just look soft on both lines of scrimmage. Soft. I, the, I was astonished that with the Bengals' offensive line in the state it is, that Buffalo just didn't get any notable pass rush. You know, they're down three linemen. They mentioned Ted Karras, their center, gets hurt in this game. He's playing through an injury, so it's basically. Three and a half of their starting linemen are more or less out of the game, right? Uh, and and they just they got they got nothing. They didn't they didn't pressure Burrow. And, and the the even scarier part was that, like they just didn't get a lot of push in the run game. The Bengals were able to run when we absolutely shut them down on the run. And I was like thinking about it. I was like, I guess they just don't have a ton of beef up front on the defensive line. Like Ed Oliver, maybe their biggest guy on the front weight wise and he's not exactly like you know a titan uh of just weight um and i thought on the offensive line too like they their inability to run the ball has been a multi-season thing and the bills line's good but they don't really have one stud up there so i think they really need to try to try to just address both lines of scrimmage and that's that's a big ask that's you know games are won from inside out generally uh and the lines of scrimmage is where most teams start beyond the quarterback position. So, yeah, I, I think the Bengals are a really good team. I still feel like at some point, we'll talk about this in a little bit, their offensive line problems will should expose them, you would think. But the Bills just weren't able to take advantage. I think it just raises a lot of long-term questions about them. Final game of the weekend. 
the ugliest. <laughs> Niners, Cowboys, a lot of field goals. A lot of, uh, I would say the most dramatic thing about this game was whether the Cowboys kicker was going to make or miss kicks uh, all game. Uh, we had some Dak stuff that was good. Uh, some good defense, I guess. Aggressive tackling, physical play. Uh, a pretty bland game for me from a neutral. But 49ers do just enough offensively. Move on, uh, and they're going to go into Philly with the with the fun, tough <laughs> matchup next next weekend. What do you guys think of 49ers Cowboys? Uh, I mean, defense led the day. Obviously, um, <sighs> I thought this was the most Brock Purdy's looked like a rookie. I did not think he had a very good game. I didn't think the 49ers offense had a very good game. But you know, credit to him, they came up with the big drive when they needed it. That huge. Uh, catch from Kittle where I don't know how he didn't get his head taken off on that kind of juggling catch that was kind of the highlight of the whole game offensively for for either team um, so you know the Niners in the in the late third quarter early fourth they're able to get that score um, but I think I guess the bigger takeaway for me the Maher stuff was hilarious I mean missing the getting the first kick blocked in what would have been a 40 yard miss if he didn't get it blocked uh was something else, but I'm glad he made it because I, I mean, it was hitting a point where I was starting to feel bad for him because his confidence was clearly shattered on these extra points. But, uh, um, Dak Prescott, I think I'm definitively, uh, on team. He's not that guy, uh, mm-hmm. after this, after this game, because that first pick was bad. It sets up the Niners first score. He gets just an awful pick before halftime. Jimmy Ward should have picked him off. It's instead picked off. I believe that was Fred Warner who I've never heard of, but, uh, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, that was bad. And then he tried to throw a walk-off pick six to Dre Greenlaw on the second to last series, which we'll get into the last series in a moment. But the second to last series was an abomination for the Cowboys. Prescott almost immediately throws a pick six on his very first snap. He then tries to force it downfield to Michael Gallup, and then he sacked. It was just a disastrous three and out. And I was talking with the people I was watching the game with, and one of them was like, Dak's going to throw a pick six here because we had a friend who may or may not have, uh, you know, had had uh, 49ers on, I believe, a T-spread sort of deal. So uh, he was he was still sitting good unless we got some, some horrible pitchy-pitchy-woo-woo or a Dak pick six. Uh, and it looked like he was really about to do it. So I, I just felt like he came up really small in this game against a, t- a game they could have won because I thought the Niners' offense was hardly impressive. Purdy didn't look great. Um, and the Cowboys' defense is really good, uh, too. And But they didn't get the help from their offense and their quarterback who's paid like $40 million a year. Um and I think Dak's good. I think the game before, it was maybe the best game he's ever played in his career. So that's what's weird with just his inconsistency kind of is to go from that game against admittedly a much better defense than 49ers. But I just thought he really sunk them in this game. And it's the reason they're um, they're not in the NFC title game now. It's now been 27 years since the Cowboys played in the NFC championship game. Uh, the only other teams, I believe, with like longer streaks without reaching the title game are the Lions and the Commanders. Uh, and I think that's it. I think that's the list <laughs> of teams to not reach the conference title game, and the Texans never have. But uh, otherwise, you know, yeah, we're we're closing in on 30 years since the Cowboys even made the Final Four, which is crazy for you know so-called America's team and the team that I think prior to that point had appeared in more conference championships than any other team. So um, it's it's weird. I don't know what needs to change for Dallas, but. Um, now we're we're going back into the Mike McCarthy cycle and all kinds of stuff. So that's how that's how it goes with the Cowboys, I guess. Oh, and you're kind of stuck with Dak, right? 
but yes. <laughs> he signed he signed to a big deal. You know, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but that's funny. This is a behind the curtain thing. I literally pulled up SpotTrack.com to try and pull up the DAC contract as we're talking, and the, on the front page, what's next? Dallas Cowboys is the main article here in terms of what's going to happen, and on the front is a big old picture of Dak Prescott. Um, I think they have made him the face of the franchise to the point that you can't really get away from him. Uh, so his contract is up in 2025 is when he becomes uh, an unrestricted free agent. There is a potential out after next season uh, that would be a around a $40 million dead uh, cap hit. So that's super great. Um, but – I think at some point you have to figure out what to do with Dak um, and or Mike McCarthy. Uh, it, it, they're in a weird position, the Cowboys, where, yeah, they're constantly going to give it talked about. They're going to be in the A block. They're, that's, that's who they are. It's the Cowboys, yada, yada. The people getting mad about, like, why do we keep talking about them? They're not that good. Look at all this. It's like they have the biggest fan base in the country. Like, <laughs> Quite literally the largest fan base in the NFL they, by miles. <laughs> by miles. Like, pe- that is who people want to hear about. It's going to happen. Get over it. Like, it's it's one of those things. It's, 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 a, it's a tired argument at this point. But in terms of on-the-field stuff, look, it, it's, it's ignorance and arrogance that has gotten the Cowboys to this point of thinking that they're smarter than everybody and that they are, in fact, quote, America's team and that they are basically destined to have this uh, – you know, God-given right to be in at least the NFC Championship game, and they just haven't put the talent on the field. Uh, I, the, the, the Cowboys continue to pay players at a premium rate that are, simply aren't that good. You know, Ezekiel Elliott is a fine running back. He's not the best running back on, on that team, and they're going to lose the best one in Tony Pollard. Who, Dak Prescott is – We should sorry, say on Pollard broke his uh, fibula, I believe, in yeah. the game. So he has a little bit of a recovery ahead of him. So that's kind of unfortunate becoming a free agent. But Yeah, sorry. right. No, you're good. No, you're good. For a guy that's going to be a free agent too is always tough. Dak Prescott is Kirk Cousins. He just is. <laughs> There, like there, there was the meme. There was the meme. I think it was a year ago, maybe this year as well. That like their stats are exactly the same. Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott. It's like literally the same winning record. The passing yards are within like five. Like all this stuff. Um, he's just Kirk Cousins, but he wears the star, and that makes him not Kirk Cousins. That's the only difference. C.D. Lamb. They they went out and drafted C.D. Lamb with a first round pick when they didn't really need him and let Amari Cooper when they had Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup they let Amari Cooper walk and C.D. Lamb is a one and a half that guy's not a number one receiver he's just not they gave Dalton Schultz money that guy's not Dexter Lawrence is a fine pass rusher but he's not you know the the next coming of Christ when it comes to getting after the quarterback Michael Parsons is and good pick by them you know you got to hit some when you do. They're going to pay Trayvon Diggs at some point. And you know what Trayvon Diggs is? He gets interceptions because he takes risks. He's a crappy Marcus Peters. That's what he is. He's not – like, he's just not – like, Marcus Peters in his prime. I think right now Trayvon Diggs is probably a little bit better. He's not that good. He's not. He gets a lot of picks because he takes risks, but then he also gives up a hell of a lot of yards because he takes risks. Like I just said, I just think that the Cowboys are in a very weird position now where they're, they're almost in the middle. Where in the NFL, you're not going to see a team tank just to tank because you can't, like, rebuild a team with one one player like like you can in the NBA. Like this whole Victor Wenbanyama stuff that, that everybody's talking about in the NBA. You can't do that. But it's tough to be stuck in the middle. It's tough to be stuck as a team that's got 
Not a ton of cap space, a lot of players, but not a ton of over-the-top talent. And I don't really know where you go from here. And a coach who's just is past it. Like, they – I mean, they should have fired him as soon as they realized that he lied about analytics in his interview. But they didn't, <laughs> and now we're here. Um, and as for the Niners, yeah, I, you said it all, Jace. I don't need to, I don't need to re- repeat it. Um, good teams find ways to win when they're not at their best, and they, they did that, and good on them. Um, but, look, I like the Niners a lot. I think the Niners, even before this weekend, even before like putting the Eagles' future on, are my favorite team um, in terms of the guys they have, in terms of I, I just love their style of play and what have you. Fred Warner, really good. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, but Brock Purdy going into a very mean Philadelphia atmosphere after the two playoff games that he's put up, which have been subpar at very best, that is a bit of a concern. And then also, you know, Kyle Shanahan's going to Kyle Shanahan at some point. Like, he just is. This, he's one of these coaches. He's going to do it at some point. It might be in Philly on Sunday. Well, they tried to in this game when Elijah yeah. Mitchell ran You're out right. of bounds for no You're reason, right. uh, which drove me up a wall. And I had a debate over if that's on the player or the coach. I maintain it's on the coach if your player doesn't know what to do correctly. Uh, that's what you get. Uh, to quote Batman, that's what the money is for. But I will say, it set up... Uh, the funniest final play I think we've ever seen in NFL history. So we had that going for us. Um, you know, I thought they weren't going to come back with it after the Niners took time out. But no, they ran it, uh, and it went horribly. And it was very funny to watch. I don't even know the receiver that just got absolutely decked by Jimmy Ward before they could do any laterals at all. And Zeke Elliott got run over while being the center. It was all, it was fantastic. So... I am glad that it worked out in the sense that we got to see that play um, because it was it, it might be my, uh, Mike McCarthy's uh, magnum opus. <laughs> Chase, the Mitchell running out of bounds was after a timeout, too. So you've had all the time to huddle and go through exactly what needs to be done. Hard for me to believe that one of the coaches in the huddle to the offense said, make sure to stay in bounds, and then he immediately ran out of bounds. It feels more like that was never said, and that's why it wasn't top of mind as he was running down the sidelines. But you were so right. It gave us one of the most ridiculously designed, terribly executed, and never going to even be allowed to work because of how many offensive linemen were 10 yards downfield when the ball was thrown, which also made it fantastic. Let's. I want to talk Purdy a little bit, and I want to use that to pivot to the preview of, of 49ers at Eagles. He's looked good in all these sort of small sample sizes, manage the game, look at all these weapons, the offense is sophisticated, just don't turn it over, don't do dumb things. In the game against the Seahawks, who have an objectively poor defense, Purdy struggled at least a first quarter, maybe even into the second quarter, you could say his first half was not great, second half three plays happened that were all like touchdowns in a row led by the 49ers defense and all of a sudden it was a blowout and you didn't really have to worry about Purdy so much anymore in this game I would say he struggled for three quarters against a much better defense in Dallas than he has played for the vast majority of the games that he's played I'm going to pull up the the list of teams but the last like six weeks of the regular season were not very good defenses and as they've gotten harder, <laughs> from Seahawks to Cowboys, his performance has dipped. He now goes into this game in Philly to go to the Super Bowl 
Uh, and the Eagles' defense, not only did they lead the NFL in sacks, but they had 15 more sacks than the second-place team in the NFL. They had 70 sacks on the team, or on the season for the team. The next closest was 55 sacks. They got another five, I believe, against the Giants. I'm going to spoil my pick now, and I think the three of us are all in agreement with this. I'm kind of all over the Eagles' pick at minus two and a half. This just feels like the moment that becomes too big for him. He has Eagles in his face all night. He makes the big mistake. He gets sacked a bunch of times. He fumbles. And it's just too many mistakes from your rookie quarterback in the highest moment against the best D that he's ever faced as a professional on the road. And the line's less than three. I, I am intrigued by this game, fellas. Uh, what do you What do you agree with here or disagree with? It, it's hard because you have to balance the weak to weakness of the playoffs too. Like we just talked about with the Giants. Oh, the Giants go in and beat Minnesota, who we all thought were frauds anyway. But all of a sudden, we're just going to prop them up. And, and then this is the, is this the 2007 New York Giants again? And then they get you know boat raced by the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I have been on the Niners a lot this year. Even with Brock Purdy, um, I, I just I love that team. I love their scheme. I think Kyle Shanahan is a brilliant offensive mind, and all it takes with the amount of weapons they have, and you've heard all this on any other NFL podcast you've listened to, it's one read and go, and the guy's usually wide freaking open because of the way they've schemed it up. There has to be a moment where you hop off of the Niners. There has to be because of Brock Purdy. And, I, and I'm, you know, it's people like, this is not people trying to be like, well, Tom Brady's finally too old. Like, this is the Mr., literally Mr. Irrelevant, who has not looked great in the playoffs so far. And you just have, you can't keep going to yourself, especially if you're putting a financial stake in it. You can't keep going, well, you know, let's just ride it out. Let's ride it out. Let's ride it out. You got to ride it out. You have to find the spot to jump off, and whether it's now or the Super Bowl, uh, I think it's now. I think the Eagles, again, like we talked about before, they have enough chip on their shoulder. Their defense, like you said, Antonio, great point there, is very good at getting after the quarterback, very good at disrupting a quarterback who is going to be all about rhythm, is all about you know three-step drop, find your read, go, let's move the ball, because I don't need to, I don't want to think too much because... Kyle Shanahan is making him not think too much because of what he's drawing up. The Eagles have enough talent to screw with that. And that place, the link, Lincoln Financial Field on a Sunday at 3 o'clock, plenty of time to drink, plenty of time to get rowdy. The Eagles fans are going to be loud and proud. And Brock Purdy's never seen anything like that in his life. He He just hasn't. I mean, I, Iowa State plays Texas when they're bad, right? And then whoever, whoever else is in the Big 12. He ain't seen an atmosphere. I guess, I guess sorry, for, for Jace's uh, former residence, the Iowa-Iowa <laughs> State game, uh, El Asico as it's usually called, is, is, <laughs> is pretty strong. Uh, I, I get that. But he's never seen anything like uh, what he's going to see in Philly. And I just think the Eagles are too talented. And because of that, yeah, I, I'm with Antonio here. At least right now, 
I could be convinced otherwise because I get so tantalized by this guy. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, Fred Warner. He's really good. And, and another guy, Debo Samuel. You know Debo Samuel can play a couple different positions as well. It's pretty remarkable. You should watch it. Brandon Ayuk, criminally underrated. Nobody talks about Brandon Ayuk. And George Kittle just doesn't get the credit that he deserves, really. Christian McCaffrey, that guy, you know, that guy coming back from an injury. People, people are really sleeping on Christian McCaffrey, one of the highest profile players in the National Football League. I could, by the time we get to Sunday, I could be enticed by the names as we record Monday night. I just, I have to take the Eagles based off what we've seen and the, the f- finding the right spot to jump off the Purdy train. The Eagles have periodically been run on a little bit, which I guess is kind of the case for the 49ers path to a victory, but I'm with you. I, I just don't, a rookie quarterback's never even appeared in the Super Bowl, and it's going to be, uh, the literal last overall pick taken in the draft and not, you know, like a first rounder. If a rookie's going to play the Super Bowl, it just seems too improbable to me. Uh, you know, I've thought her, uh, Purdy got kind of happy feet a little bit against the Cowboys. Uh, he does this thing where he kind of just runs to his left and tries to reset and just sort of throws downfield. He'll do it a few times a game. And that seems like a prime spot to get picked by like a CJ Gardner Johnson who led the NFL in picks this year. The Eagles just have so much depth. That's like the other thing with their defense is they mm-hmm. can just rotate guys. They just have so much, um, just so much there. And, and then offensively too, I think you look at the other side and I think like, yes, the Niners had the best defense in the NFL this year, but I think the Eagles had the best offensive line in football. I think just like from left to right that they're just great. It's a fantastic unit. Lane Johnson it's like literally insane when you like look like basically when he plays the Eagles win <laughs> like the last like five years it's crazy um he, he he's he's an unbelievable player uh and uh, him, him coming back he was clearly a little hobbled but you know he didn't allow any sacks or anything really I, I think if Hertz can kind of stay clean and I thought he looked pretty good he didn't ask to do too much but those the receivers are so good to Brown and uh Smith I I just think the Eagles have too much and playing at home. That place is going to be rowdy. They're going to be fired up. And yeah, I, I think it's just a bridge too far uh, for, for Purdy when I, I think I'm with you guys, he started to kind of look a, a little, you know, questionable. And I, I think the Eagles defense is even better than the Cowboys defense, certainly down the stretch, um, how the Cowboys were playing. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement. I'm, I'm with the Eagles. I think, I think it's the Eagles to lose. And I, I think, um, I'm not going to be stunned if the Niners win. I think they're a great team, but it's just, I think, such a big ask for your rookie quarterback. I think this is the moment he might be exposed. AFC. Okay. Uh, Bengals. <laughs> Bengals at Chiefs. I had actually written this down incorrectly, so I'll, I'll use this as a little clue for my co-host here. The line is Chiefs plus one. I thought it was Chiefs minus one. Maybe it's moved from when oh. I last checked it. Bengals are one-point favorites in Kansas City. It's the rematch. It's round three. It's round four, however you want to pitch it. At first blush, it seems crazy. The Chiefs are home dogs. And yet, I kind of agree with it. And it's not enough. It's not too many points to where I'm afraid of taking it. I'm, I'm taking the stupid Bengals again. And I think there's just too many things that match up that fit with the Bengals winning this again first deep analytical thought from me um maybe double team Travis Kelsey uh (laughs) he had 17 targets and 14 catches was 
open, not NFL open, like wide open, way too many times in a game where he's obviously the number one option, and as Mahomes got deeper and deeper into that game and was banged up, he was locking, just locked on to Kelsey on multiple routes, and he would get wide open, and then he would hit him. Maybe that should be something that should be addressed. And Tim, who's the best at addressing it? What defensive coordinator is going to be just amazing at scheming things up so that the Chiefs can't do exactly what they want to do with Travis Kelsey? That would be a man called uh, Lou Anarumo. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. Some of them call some some call him Big Lou. Some call him Big Lou. Oh gosh! So that's the one aspect of it. Um, the Chiefs have already lost to this team three times by a field goal each time. This iteration may, for me, have the widest margin in favor of the Bengals yet. Obviously, the Chiefs don't have Tyreek Hill anymore. He was one of the X factors of the previous meetings. He was, he's gone. He's out. It's all to Kelsey now, pretty much. The other issue is Mahomes' ankle. The high ankle sprain, to me, sometimes is an injury that gets worse after a week as opposed to better. It's not like a, a bruise that just, you just need days, and it's going to slowly get better every day. A high ankle sprain, he could run out there on Sunday, avoid one sack, take three steps, and it's it's back exactly the same as it was before. That They're so painful. I had essentially that. Obviously, I'm not a professional athlete. But I had a high ankle sprain playing like basketball with friends and it lasted like months where I still had some pain. Anything can happen in the first quarter of this game where he gets hit, he takes a sack, he steps wrong, and he's hobbling for the rest of the game. You know who isn't hobbled? is Joe Burrow. He took that Bills crowd noise, he took the snow in their first drive and went down the field like he was running a meeting in the office at, you know, 8 o'clock on Monday morning, just casually doing roll call. He didn't struggle with play calls. He didn't struggle with noise. He didn't need to call timeouts when the play clock was running low. It was clean. It was perfect. And they were up. And already there were nerves in Buffalo that it was going to be, oh my gosh, the Bengals are still just rolling offensively. I'm not worried about the noise. I'm confident that Big Lou does enough things to limit Travis Kelsey and we have to deal with the stupid Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl again. And I'm taking Cincy. I'm taking them minus one in Kansas City. Uh, and I'm going to hope to pick against them when the Eagles just sack Burrow 800 times with that bad offensive line. I'm like, I'm three moves ahead, guys, with, <laughs> with the chess pieces here. Burrow gets sacked in the Super Bowl 100 times by the Philadelphia Eagles, but he does not get sacked a bunch against this Chiefs D that every postseason is porous, gives up big runs, big plays, and they've already done it against against the Bengals too many times, and I think the script is is there again for them to take it. It is, and you're right, and everything you said is correct. Chiefs plus one at home. Can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. It's a pure spite bet. I literally just took it as soon as you said that it had switched because it, it has switched uh, as of currently a particular betting site that, that doesn't sponsor us, so I won't mention them. 89% of the money and 82% of the tickets as of right now are on the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, the public is always wrong. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes' ankle is fine. Look, the NFL's a dirty business. They got cortisone for that. He'll be okay. Uh, I think that there's something to be said. And this this is, like you said, your analytical take, double double Travis Kelsey, very smart. My, my analytical thing, 
Hard to beat a team four times. It's just hard. <laughs> it's just hard to do it, especially a team that talented. And you think you think the Cincinnati Bengals have a chip on their shoulder? You know who definitely does? The Kansas City Chiefs, who if they lose this game, people are going to be start saying, well, we were we were all talking about this team like a dynasty team, and they have one Super Bowl? Like, what ha- like that's coming if the Chiefs lose this game. The Patrick Mahomes discourse is coming, bum ankle or not, if they lose this game. I don't think they lose this game. Um, I will wholeheartedly admit this is a 50% head, 50% heart pick because I'm terrified of the Cincinnati Bengals, and I hate them, and I just wish they would go away and Joe Burrow to get traded to somewhere like the Cardinals or something like that that we don't have to worry about him ever again. It'll never happen. Uh, but, yeah, Chiefs plus one for me. My only hope is the Brown family, famously the most cheap owners in the entire NFL, do not pony up the money to pay Joe Burrow. That's the only hope I kind of have uh, for the Bengals being bad. That immediately Joey future. B. realized that his brand needs Scottsdale, Arizona, rather than <laughs> Cincinnati, Ohio, something yeah, like that. Like, yeah, you know, The Phoenix market is the fifth largest in the United States. Um, but... Uh, no, I'm with you. I'm just wish casting. Uh, Antonio's points are all the correct points football-wise. There's no real argument, I think, to make uh, for the Chiefs over the Bengals. But, I, yeah, I'm with Tim. I just dig, I cannot believe that Patrick Mahomes, who we have said, we said it right off the rip, is the best player in the NFL. I know he's hurt. I just cannot believe he's going to go to 0-4 versus Joe Burrow. It seems inconceivable to me. And it's at home. They're at Arrowhead Stadium for the fifth straight AFC Championship game. Uh, I, I will lose my mind if the Mahomes is he actually clutch conversation starts up for a guy who's already won a Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's coming if they lose this game. It's coming. I know it is. I just I can't do it. I can't do. I can't. I can't. Are we sure he's clutch for a guy who's appeared in five straight AFC title games? It's just not. It's hard to win the Super Bowl. The Patriots dynasty broke all our brains, but the Chiefs are what the Chiefs are doing is really impressive. Um. But no, football-wise, you're right. I will say Vegas very good at this, putting the Bengals as road favorites against a team that's made five straight AFC title games was incredible, incredible work by them. And I think it's going to pay off handsomely for them one way or the other, uh, you would think. Um, I want to just say the one thing, I am glad, I know we kind of clowned on the Bengals taking on bridge with this, but I am actually glad this isn't a neutral site AFC title game. I know it's very clear that's what the NFL wants to happen is neutral site conference championship games because it will make them more money. But the NFL, the Super Bowl is already an unaffordable corporate event for fans, and I don't need more of that. I, it's fun to have fans, in, in, mostly in the cold in this country, sort of celebrating together in January. Or, like we saw with the Bengals, it's really awesome if your team goes on the road and just takes it and just demoralizes a fan base and you hear Day chants in Buffalo throughout the second half of that game. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome as a fan, uh, which if your team's able to do that. We've been lucky as Ravens fans that our team, for whatever reason, plays way better on the road in the playoffs than at home. So, uh, you know, we, we've had to, gotten to celebrate those moments, too. Um, it's great. So I, I am glad this game's in Arrowhead and we didn't end up with a neutral site uh, game. But, yeah, I'm picking the, I'm picking the Chiefs despite... Uh, as Antonio laid out the football the football argument favors the Bengals the only thing I could think and I mentioned it is at some point this offensive line does have to hurt the Bengals some teams gotta get after him now Chris Jones as you talked about porous defense has Chris Jones who I believe was a first team all pro or certainly made second team this year uh um 
had like 15 sacks this year, has never had a sack in 15 playoff games somehow for the Chiefs. Uh, one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL. I feel like this has to be the week that that streak ends. Maybe Frank Clark decides to show up. That's always intermittent with him, but, uh, you know, maybe he gets a sack or two. Um, if they can get after him just a little bit, and maybe there are, with a, like, in a way, maybe the Von Miller-less Bills weren't able to, maybe they could cause some problems for Burrow. But, yeah, the, the football argument, Antonio, you nailed it, but I'm with Tim in picking the Chiefs, just mostly out of spite <laughs> and uh, what I want to happen, which is Kansas City to knock the Bengals out. Because I just don't want to live in the world where the Bengals are a team that's, like, competing in winning super bowls I, I, can't, I can't have that we, we we can't have we can't have three teams in the amc north of super bowls just leave it with us and the steelers and let the other two ohio teams just suffer forever <sighs> yeah burrow just so annoyingly good at getting the ball out quickly or or like the one slide move in the pocket everybody's calling him brady I, we get it he's got some similarities and that is one of them. Just the little subtle move in the pocket away from the rush, and then he finds somebody for 25 yards. I want to recap this because, again, it's our show, so I can. Um, 3-0 with my last three playoff picks. Got the Cowboys game over the Bucks from last week because that was happening while we were recording. 2-0 this past weekend, picking both, both dogs uh, with the Jags and the Bengals. 36 and 26 on the season, five and one in the postseason, and feeling kind of kind of okay about these two these two picks. But we will see, obviously, what happens there. Last thing to do: answer the random raven. So I'm going to go over the clues. I'm going to give the fellas really just whatever they want to talk about. They can choose to answer the random raven, or they can give their last sort of thoughts on the upcoming weekend, which is. Uh, one of the most fun in the NFL season. Conference championship week. Always awesome football. Let's go through the random Raven clues first, though. This random Raven played the majority of his career with an for an AFC North rival. He was drafted by that team in the fourth round of the 2006 NFL draft and played with them for 11 seasons, averaging 47 tackles, 1.5 sacks, and 3.5 tackles per loss each year as a mainstay on their defensive line. After two years in Denver in 2017 and 2018, this player joined the Ravens midseason in 2019 to bolster the interior of the line and played in all seven games from when he signed, starting three, and he also played in the playoff loss against the Tennessee Titans. I guess that bolstering of the line didn't work so well uh, in the playoff game against the Titans. This player, known for his long, big hair, wore number 94 for the majority of his career, but 96 with the Ravens, and then after 2019, he played one more year in Arizona before retiring. Thoughts, fellas? I, uh, you had it first, Jace, so I'll let you go. I have it. I was stunned that this guy played for the Ravens. I forgot. <laughs> Completely forgot because, yeah, he was – when the Bengals weren't relevant because uh, Bengals fans forget that they basically haven't <laughs> been relevant in a very long time. Apparently, they're the most important team in the NFL. Um this was the guy that like upset me most a lot of weeks <laughs> playing the Bengals because he was very good and just very good against the Ravens for whatever reason. And it was crap for us because he was old. So, you know, that was super fun. So I'm not 100% sure on the pronunciation, but I believe this is Domata Pecco. 
Jace, you nailed the vowels. You nailed the consonants. Look it is Domata Pecco. Domata Pecco. Uh, long time Cincinnati Bengals defensive tackle who then just played seven games in 2019. <laughs> won all of them, uh, in theory, cause, right? Because he joined after by midseason. That meant he won every game for the Ravens except for the playoff game, which, whatever. We don't have to talk about it anymore. Um, but yeah, the randomist, as I saw him with the big hair, jumping up and down, <laughs> celebrating Justin Tucker's winning kick against the 49ers, and that was an odd an odd player to see. Uh, that's it, guys. Anything else about these two games before we wrap things up? I'm just, I am really looking forward to him. Conference Championship Week's always good, and this is our most chalk, I feel like, Final Four in quite a while. It's one versus two in the NFC, it's one versus three in the AFC. Obviously, the Bengals are arguing they should have been the two anyway, but whatever. Uh, so this is this is about as chalk as we got. So it should produce two really good games, and in theory, a hopefully good if but a Super Bowl. It'll certainly be interesting. So, you know, I do think like at the end of the day, I do think we got pretty much the four best teams in the NFL probably over the course of the full season. Um, Bengals went twelve and four. Chiefs went what thirteen and four. Eagles were 14-3, and three, Niners were 13-4. and four. So we got some really, really good teams. We don't have an underdog story, really. Like, last year's Super Bowl was two number four seeds, uh, even though they both had won 12 games, I believe. Nothing like that this year. We got the best teams in the NFL, so it should be a fun weekend. Do I wish the Ravens were playing? Of course. Uh, I can't help but think maybe they had a chance. Uh, if their quarterback had played or if Tyler Huntley just didn't try to jump airborne three yards from the end zone. But... Uh, that aside, I'm really looking forward to this weekend, and I hope the Bengals lose. <laughs> there's there's three games left. Enjoy it because after the Super Bowl, Sunday has just become drab, and we have to end up watching Maryland basketball, which nobody wants. <laughs> uh, well, that will do it for us. Well said, Tim. For Jay Evans and Tim Horsey, I'm Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you for Super Bowl Preview Week next Tuesday. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.